Hello and welcome to episode 23 of the Mental Health Gaming Podcast. I will forget what number it is at some point, I'm sure. I'm once again joined by Stu and just as a heads up, there might be kids making noise as you listen to this one. Just don't think we can be bothered to cut about if they ended up bursting into the room. But yeah, they're stuck indoors today, so there's that. Um, how are you doing, Stu? Not too bad. Yeah, I might have some background noise because one of my furry children, and that's not like some sort of genetic monstrosity, but my cats have decided to have a go at the door while I'm locked into my studio. So if you hear any banging sounds, it's not me going crazy with pots and pans. It's it's cats. I, I, I assumed she was doing some kind of PT Barnum lifestyle. Well, you know, you've got to keep it mixed up, haven't you? I'm going uh, yeah, a little A few, few dog face boys there and everything. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm going a little bit sort of lockdown crazy. So there may have been some genetic adjustments made. Well, yeah, it's to kill the time. Yeah, the, you've got full island of Dr. Moreau. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, this, yeah, we'll get to some lockdown craziness possibly a bit later. What games have you been playing, Stu? Well, over the last sort of few days, and on this weekend particularly, um, I stepped out into an unfamiliar post-apocalyptic world uh, for violent goblins and a, a constant threat of death. Uh, but enough about Super Saturday. <laughs> I, uh, I've been playing Gears Tactics and talked about it a couple of times on the podcast. Uh, but after some sort of extensive play on the thing, just wanted to talk about what I like best very briefly. And I think, you know, one is that no weapon redundancy. So one of the things that you that you find with like your favorite series of games is that it, they just kind of, they have power creep and it's difficult to bring in different weapons and keep the game balanced. And you could probably play through all of the Gears games with just like the Nasher, which is the shotgun, and the long shot, which is the sniper rifle. If you had those two and a pistol, you're laughing. But there's no redundancy in Gears Tactics because each character that you can bring into your team only has one weapon and they're, well, they have a pistol as a sidearm, but they, <clears throat> they have one main weapon, which is their specialization. So your shotgun guy can only carry a shotgun, but all of his or her stats and upgrade paths are geared around those. So they're like the scout class and, you know, they can run far and they can have a ghost mode that's like the predator and stuff like that. And there's the heavy class who, carries the what's it called the masher the massive machine gun thing and so each one has their own strengths and weaknesses but they're all valuable and that's really nice it's nice to when so much effort is put into creating a world and having a variety of options that none of them become redundant and you can use them all and the more that you can use obviously the more variety and the more variety the more fun so that's real i also like the fact that there is, there's, again, touching on something you were talking about in a podcast that will become a special and that we'll be putting out soon about female representation. There's no sexualization in it. So all the characters are but ugly, which is typical of the Unreal Engine. They all are, they've been smacked around with mallets before they've been allowed out on the battlefield. And the women aren't sexualized, both men and women. Some of them are more han- conventionally handsome or pretty than others, but there's a baseline and they're all pretty ugly. But the main thing is that they're just kind of like normal people. Some of them are a bit rangy. Some of them are a bit stocky. And it's great just to, to like it not be a thing. And it may be a little too neutral. So it might not be kind of going the other way and deliberately writing female characters and sort of making everybody generic. But having a game that you can just have that and not have to fret about the way that they're represented is really nice because it's still pretty rare. Yeah, you've got like Aloy in Horizon Zero Dawn, and you've got Senua in Senua's Sacrifice, Hellblade. But, you know, how many non-sexualized women are there in games anyway, really? So, yeah, yeah that, that aspect of it, I mean, it might not, it, it, depending on your sensitivity to these things, it may not be a big deal. But that conversation you guys were having, we had a conversation offline about Catherine, which I've got some real, I don't know, I've got some real hang-ups about, and I'd like to hear what your views on that are. But, I'll be talking about Catherine in a short while, so... Awesome, awesome, good. I want to hear about it. But yeah, so it's nice just to have that as an option. Yeah, it's it's definitely um, something I, I'm interested in. It's um, it, it's weird that a lot of discussion is around sort of like female representation in video games now. And 
Something like Gears, it, it's an interesting one because it's always been seen as such a masculine game that I hadn't actually thought about it, that it tends to, on the whole, do women just equal within their games. I think I like number three I, I played and one of the other ones I played of it. And I don't think I ever saw the women as women in there. They wasn't helpless creatures or anything like that. They was just women and they were strong and powerful just as the men were. And if I'm right, like the armor was done pretty well. It wasn't any, there was no like sexy armor or anything no, like that. There isn't. Yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah, so yeah, no, I, it's an interesting. I think the gears, the world building in the gears series has always been an interesting one. It's it's kind of it's really weird uh, when it first came out. I'm, I'm stepping back a bit here, but gears is obviously a bit of a looked upon as a bit of a brain dead shoot and like just shoot everything inside. There's aliens and you're the heroes, but it, it was marketed like with the um, the Mad World soundtrack and the original marketing around it made it seem like it's this really deep emotional affair that you know was going to change almost change storytelling in video games and it was just something that it wasn't and then it came out and it was cover shooting monsters aliens shooting them all but then when you actually step back and look at Gears it does actually do almost a fair amount of what the original marketing almost promised where it does raise a few interesting points about politics and gender and, and, and other such things and I, I think it actually does a pretty decent job in subconsciously getting that information through to people who wouldn't otherwise take notice of it yeah i think it's moving in the right direction i don't I, it's like uh, the Killzone franchise. So there's loads of potential there for it to be the Starship Troopers of video games. So the people who are the clean-cut, square-jawed, so-called good guys are actually the villains and they're really fascistic. And there's, there's definitely, you could do that so well and so quickly in, this, in these franchises. And I think that Gears is edging towards that. I think sort of initially, like you said, when they did the whole Mad World thing and they tried to make it look more than it was, it was still being made by Cliffy B, you know, yeah. at Epic. And it's it's just, it was just dumb as a bag back, of hammer. Back before he wanted to be taken seriously and what his actual surname is, he was actually happy with Cliffy B back then yeah. because it was rad. Exactly. And you can see his attempts to sort of become more serious and become more, I don't know, more of a mature influence in the gaming world of just like falling on their ass. And it, that's because he should have embraced who he was and made games for who he is. And, you know, that wasn't, they weren't hurting any, anybody. It wasn't like he needed to change, but kudos to him for trying. But anyway, that's a tangent. Um, since the coalition took over with Gears, I get the feeling that they're running it like, and I've not played them, but I think it's probably a fairly apt comparison the modern Mortal Kombat games. So they've got good scripts and they are run deliberately as melodramas. So melodrama has fallen out of fashion in, in arts and entertainment these days, and there isn't really much of it. But the best way to look at it is daytime soaps. And in the UK, you know, evening soaps as well, where it's all hyper, it's all played with tongue slightly in cheek. And it does it really well in the recent Gears games. And it, and it allows you to have that kind of, you can both enjoy it on a surface level and you can also know that they're kind of poking fun at themselves as you're going along. And the, the amount of tension that releases, I find, it, it, you know, is quite substantial and makes them much, much more fun and approachable. Yeah, I agree. Um, you mentioned sort of like the idea of melodramas. I, I do like a melodrama. And it's just it just brought back. I've I've been watching over during lockdown like tons of stuff on YouTube, and I've discovered uh, well not discovered I've rediscovered Funny or Die on YouTube, and they done um, a, a small series called Telly Novellas Are Hell, and it just literally just rips on the Telly Novella and the ludicrousness of the storylines. And I was watching it just going, Do you know what? You see some video games, and they use probably like. It's just as dramatic and over the top as that, but they try and frame it as something that's like really important. And, yeah, you play it straight. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Whereas the Teddy Novellas, they 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 got this brilliant balance of playing it straight, but clearly nodding towards the look. We know this is ridiculous, but we're going for it anyway. It's just yeah. it's almost like Leslie Nielsen parody 
is that good that he plays it straight, but it's pure comedy. I think the like the uh, the, the the Latin telly novellas do exactly that, and I think that's what Gears does to a degree. Weirdly enough, it is melodramatic, and it, it kind of it, it plays it straight. Like the characters are all serious, but there's always that knowing wink of look. We know this is over the top, but there is a bit of a message there at the same time. It's, yeah, it's definitely an interesting yeah. take on it all. It is, it is, and it's one of the things when you're thinking about games as an art form developing and getting more sophisticated, and you're thinking, you know, oh, we're really getting there, and then you think, well, okay, but we we haven't got. Sat- there's not much satire in video games. You still there's ample room for it, but there's very little of it, and there's very little analogy as well. I mean, there's like Papers Please, which is kind of it's like analogous to like Soviet states and stuff like that, but there's not not masses of it. And you know, it just points out that there's a there's a lot to be done in in the realm of writing in games, and the the ones who make even tiny little incremental steps should be applauded. And I think you know. We've we've never gets out of the conversation for long. Last of Us Part Two, bringing in you know sophisticated grown up relationships, and there's very few of those explored, especially in AAA games. And it's yeah. great to see even little bits of it creeping in because it will affect a much bigger change down the line. Oh, definitely. And we're still. I think we're at a, a, a bit of a turning point with games where. I don't know if it's the gamers themselves um, or whether it's still because of outside opinion of video games. But when we talk about mature or adult video games, it's still looked upon as does it have swearing? Does it have nudity and sex? That makes it mature. Rather than looking at, no, actually, look, this is a mature game that discusses mature themes. Um, It can approach sex without actually showing gratuitous sex and deal with subjects without it boiling down to violence or things like that. Because I actually find things that are playing around with nudity, language, violence as mature, I actually find they're actually quite juvenile. So I actually want to see more games that deal with mature themes in a mature way. And I know this is me beating the drum again, but without making a long list on the spot, there are a ton of indie games that do that in such a better way where they might not be the most exciting games to play, but they deal with those mature themes and actually provoke a discussion in a way that AAA games definitely can't. Yeah, there's the definition of mature, the the classic definition of mature, literally meaning, you know, grown up and, and a bit of wisdom and blah, blah, blah. And there's the marketing version of what mature means, which is bums and willies. That's how I think of it. And as I said, with, with my son, I will let him play Call of Duty and, and games like that because for me, they are not mature. They're cartoonish still. I don't care how realistic the graphics are supposedly meant to be. They are cartoonish in the violence it's in. For me, it's no worse than watching Tom and Jerry, um, especially if you trust your child to know the difference between real life and a video game. That That's always a big thing. For sure. Uh, which a lot of adults don't quite get. Uh, yeah, people attack Laura Bailey for actions she takes in a video game. It's because they can't separate the actress to the character, say with soap actors and things like that. People just can't separate. But I, I trust my son to know the difference. But I won't let him play a game like Catherine. because, And it's not because of the nudity of the sex. It's because there's actually a lot of mature discussion in there, which I don't think he could get his head around. When I come to speak about Catherine in a minute, I'll go into more detail. But Gears, I think, is is one of those games that touches right down the middle quite well. It's gratuitous enough that it's comic fair, but it does have some decent underlying discussion to it. And it's, in a way, it's almost like a gateway game deleted that you can have sensible discussion but framed in this ridiculous world with ridiculous violence and language and things like that so yeah it's kind of weird and weird to think of gears as a, a good solid game like that rather than just brainless but yeah like you say it's true and that's a really good point about it being a, a gateway to other discussion and i think that the greatest thing you, you can say about it as a series in recent years is that it actually takes you quite a few adjectives to describe what the experience of playing the game is like 
and that shows the level of sophistication in the game because if a game game is unsophisticated it only takes a couple of words to describe so yeah definitely step in the right direction but i'm desperate to hear about catherine now so i'm going to shut up and let you go on about that <laughs> so yeah catherine i've got a an article that should hopefully be on the site by the time you're listening to this um so check check on the site for it but a sort of abridged version i've always had a relationship with that game that has not never sat easy with me um i played it when it first came out and i i kind of enjoyed it for the puzzle mechanics that it's got um where you're moving blocks to climb a tower and it's just a really interesting puzzle game on in its own right there but it's surrounded by um a visual novel um that is almost traditional visual novel um, it almost feels like two separate games in a way but it melds together really really well and uh, it's based around the main character vincent who's in a relationship with a woman called Catherine with a k um, and he has an affair with Catherine with a C. And the game that focuses around his decisions that he makes um, with the relationship with both of these women. Uh, and various different things happen. And he gets into some situations. Some are a bit comical um, and almost feel like they're a bit comic relief with it, but others are very serious and really try and play like the, the mental gymnastics that he has to do at times. And I played the game and the first time I played it, I, I kind of didn't know what to feel about the game as a whole because I didn't know who was the supposed, let's say the traditional villain of the piece and whether Vincent was a good protagonist. Just couldn't get my head around it. Um, and I've likened it to two films I've watched um, where I decided it was one and done and I couldn't decide whether I liked the films or whether I understood, not understood the message, accepted the message or agreed with the message that they were sending. And those two films are Irreversible and Mysterious Skim. Um, and if you've never watched them, go and watch them. Um, I'm not saying they're good or you'll enjoy them, but honestly, they, they need to be watched. And Catherine kind of fell into that category for me, where I was like, I don't know how I actually feel about any of these people. And it's not like other things that I've watched where you can go, every single person here is reprehensible. They've got no redeemable qualities about them because each of them does have some redeemable qualities. And you like them, but you don't like them at the same time. And then I was, I kind of tried to look into it. I went really deep looking into theories about it and stuff like that. Some measured up to what I felt. Others completely argued against me. Um, and as I mentioned in my article, if you go down searching that kind of thing for a game like Catherine, there's a lot of hate-filled bile out there on the internet as well um, that you really don't want to read. But anyway, I kind of went, well, okay, one and done, that's it for me. Then it got backwards compatibility release, and I gave it another go. Um, and it kind of just went by. I kind of like almost played it and didn't actually take any of it in again. So left it a few months and played it for a third time. And I got the same ending. There are multiple endings within the game. And I played it this third time. And all of a sudden, my attitude changed. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. The Catherines, both of them, are the ones in the bond. They're the ones at fault here. They, they, Vincent is actually a victim. And when I was looking at what they was actually doing within the game, I was like, no, no, wait, what am I doing? I'm blaming women for the faults of Vincent. And I tried to really, again, argue with myself. I can't blame them. What, what? It's almost like they are women, so they are the ones at fault. It's almost like that that whole Jezebel type thing going on. I was like, no, this can't be right. I, I really hated myself. Um, and to be honest, I wasn't in the best of places mentally uh, when I played it as well. Uh, and I, I consider myself a feminist. So it was really messing with my head. Yeah, no, I can't need to step away. Um, and then Catherine Full Bodies recently come out, and I was given a chance to play it again. And I went in again, going, I've, 
I'm in a much better place mentally. I can have a, a, a good go at this and trying to understand it. I understand the characters now. I understand the game and I can really focus my thoughts around it. And it introduces a new character. Um, and I'm not going to go deep because anyone wants to to play it, then I want them to sort of get this themselves. But there was a very, very innocuous um, interaction early in the game. And it just spun my whole... When I say my whole world here, I mean my whole world within the context of the game. Just spun it completely around where I just looked at it and just went, Vincent's an arsehole. He is a manipulative arsehole who somehow manages to portray himself as a victim or a likable guy, and he's not. Um, and in the article, I'll go into a bit more, more detail about, uh, a little bit more detail about that. But yeah, it's a really interesting game, Catherine, where uh, honestly, the, the sex and things like that really don't come into it in terms of, oh, this is a, a game, look at Catherine with her sexy underwear or anything like that. It actually plays emotions really well. However, here's the thing. I don't know whether the stuff I was feeling about the game was something that was done by design, by the game creators, to provoke those sort of feelings and thoughts and discussion, or that was me just being me, and it was just completely by accident. I still cannot decide if Catherine is a good game or not. It's one of my favourite games because of what it's made me think over the years and the the, the, like the thought-provoking around it. But I still can't tell you if it's a good game or not after four times playing it. It's just really weird. Yeah, that's fascinating because that almost never happens with games. It's almost, you know, a completely the proviso of, of films and to a sort of lesser degree novels that you can not relate to or have significant issue with the protagonists and yet still enjoy it or if enjoyment's the wrong word you know gain something from it but with games because you're the protagonist it's really hard to break out of the thought patterns of the person that you're controlling so what they're doing is what you're doing and unless it very consciously plays on that then it's hard to sort of break away from their thought patterns i think and so so few games even try to attempt it Indeed. So the the, the, mo- the biggest comparison I can make, really, and again, we'll come back to um, to The Last of Us and spoiler warning ahead. The end of the original game where you realise all your actions mean nothing because you are not actually in control of Joel and it's his actions and you're just along for the ride. It's the same sort of thing Catherine does. Um, as Vincent, you think you're in control that you're not, um, and you have these moments where between uh, flaws in the puzzle game section, you have to answer some morality questions. Um, they're nothing, nothing really deep, not, not sort of like, should, you know, who deserves to die type morality questions, but one of the early questions, um, so it's not spoiling too much, asks, what do you think about marriage? Do you believe marriage is the beginning of life or the end of life? And I couldn't answer that when I first played it because I don't believe in marriage, personally. I just don't believe that you need to be married to prove your love to somebody. And, you know, the reasons behind marriage just don't fit in with my morals. And it has changed, obviously, what it is over the years. But I've just never wanted the desire to get married, can't be asked with it. My partner feels the same and we're, we're happy. But the question is binary. So you kind of like, well... What's the right answer here? I can't answer that as me. So I'm thinking, well, it's the beginning of life then. That, 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 that has to probably be the right answer. So I choose that. And in the very next scene, after the puzzle moments finish, Vincent is continuing his affair. He's continuing his fair affair with Catherine. And the moral choice I made, which gave me a positive moral outcome on a meter that you get throughout the game, was thrown back in my face. And it's like at that early point you're realizing, hang on, who's in control here? Am I in control? Or is am I just along for Vincent's ride? But it's giving me these choices throughout the game. It keeps giving you choices at important moments, but then it will do something where you don't get to have control. You don't get to make those choices. 
And that started raising some interesting questions with me because am I ever in control? Am I in control of my own life? What decisions can I make that actually have an effect on other people? And do they have an effect on other people? And that's what I felt with my relationship with Vincent. I didn't like the guy, but I wanted him to be a better person. But the decisions I made didn't have an effect, but at times they did. And it was just, yeah, it just really messed with things. And again, I don't know if that was on purpose. If it is, then it is quite possibly some of the best writing I've seen in a video game. But I can't say that it was done on purpose and it wasn't just a, an accident that it was done like that. So have you talked to anybody else about their reactions to the game and what they thought? Not really, no, because, and here's the weird thing, it's something I might do, well, it's now, is out in the open. I felt ashamed with some of my thoughts initially about it. And I don't, I don't really know anyone in real life um, who plays video games, or if they do, it's maybe a bit of FIFA or Call of Duty or something like that, or Candy Crush. No one's playing Catherine, so I've got to try and explain what that type of game is to people and things like that. But even on forums, I felt, I actually honestly felt like I was going into a weird mental state with things. And it was like, it's, it's me. And if I start talking to people about this, people are going to believe I'm crazy. People are going to think I'm like, honestly, they need to get me help. And so I didn't. I've never spoke about it until now, really. And it's only that I am in a better place mentally. And I, I trust my opinion a bit more that I feel I can talk about it. And I say, as far as I'm concerned, in the article I've written and what I've just said now, it could well just be coherent gibberish. But it's just what I feel about the game. And whether the game's done that on purpose, whether it's an accident, it still shows what a clever game it is, that it's provoked a reaction of some kind. Last of Us, Last of Us, sorry, didn't even do that to me. I got emotional. And it was like, wow, I wasn't even in control and, and things like that. But it never got to the point where I was questioning myself and the game for weeks, months, even years afterwards. So, yeah, it's, I, I'd like to know if anyone has played it and had similar feelings. And obviously do let us know. But it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, an interesting feeling I've never had with a game before. Yeah, there's, um, it's funny. Like, I, I've never wanted to play it. Like, well, pro- probably up until now, because with you talking about it the way that you have, it makes me want to have a go. But obviously the kind of the marketing, the cover, all that sort of stuff, and even knowing that it was more sophisticated than those things were putting forward, have, have been massively off-putting to me. They've really not made me want to play the game. And I suppose that's because it was done deliberately so that it would get people to buy the game. Because if it, if it had a, a cover that was, I don't know, a kind of sepia-toned picture of a man and two women in sort of silhouette, you know, looking all moody and mysterious, and it said it was a puzzle adventure and a visual novel, then nobody would buy it, or, you know, very few people. So the titillation aspect of the, of the marketing, it was obviously so that it would actually sell some copies, but it had, you know, had the adverse effect on me for, for good or ill. But with you talking about it, I want to pick it up. I think that's probably made my mind up then. So I will, I'll try and pick it up cheap on Steam and give it a go and come back with my thoughts on it. Yeah. You just go, Brad, what on earth was you talking about? It's just um, a game with, 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 with boobs and arses. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, it's all right. I already know not to take any notice of your opinion. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no, it's, it'd be interesting to hear other people's thoughts on it. Honestly, if people want to say to me, you've read too much into this game and you probably shouldn't let it dictate your thoughts for that many years, then please come ahead and tell me. But yeah, it's definitely, yeah, it's a, it's, it's interesting. A game that can live with you is always one that should be discussed. And I, I feel gutted that I didn't try and discuss it many years earlier as well. With that, we're going to lead into mental health chat. Um, so I'm going to hand over to you, Stu, because I know you're going to have a bit of a change coming up. Yeah, and it's to a greater or lesser extent a change that everybody in this current situation coming out of lockdown is facing. And that's like, how do you deal with reconnecting with friends, family, and work colleagues? What is it like for you when you're doing that? And you know, my personal one at the moment is 
today it's my mum's birthday and it's the one that we've chosen to be the time when we do this social bubble thing. So she's entirely, she lives alone and we visit every week and see her at a social distance, uh, f- greater than the recommended distance by quite some significant margin because, you know, she's getting older and, you know, this is a 77th birthday today. And I don't want to obviously have any complicity in, in making her unwell. But we've got to a point now where it's like, well, people are having to make their own decisions about the risk and the level of risk. And funnily enough, she's over the border in Wales and I'm over the border in England. So, the you know, it's been staggered in terms of what we've been allowed to do. But finally, from yesterday, people in Wales are allowed to do the social bubble thing, which is all a preamble to the kind of decisions that you have to make in this weird situation. And it is completely bananas. You're having to take risks and make choices that, you, that you're unprepared for. You know, and I'm no spring chicken. You know, I'm 44 years old and this is new to me. So to get to this stage and, and f- for things to be so weird and out of whack and out of kilter and make decisions of this level and difficulty it, pu- it puts a lot of stress on you. And in an era where just going to the supermarket, the time when you go, whether you wear a mask, whether you're sort of morally or ethically right in getting annoyed at people's behavior or whether you should be calm and all of these sorts of things, even the smallest thing has those level of that level of, you know, questioning and moral choice around it. Choosing whether to go into the home of somebody vulnerable at some stage, and it's nearly four months on from lockdown. It's a huge one. It's a really big one. And it's been making my brain fizz all week because you've got that on one side. Yeah, it's great that I can help my mum out because she's been completely lonely and isolated physically, whereas I haven't. And I'm looking forward to that. And obviously on a personal level, it would be nice to be physically close as well. It makes a big difference to human beings. It's just the way we're built. But at the same time, Am I going to be the person who kills my mother? And everybody's having to make these choices every day. And the level of stress must be immense and it must be damaging to a lot of people's mental health. And it's not damaging my mental health, but it's certainly making me particularly stay very stressed in a very curious way. Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting one. I'm lucky in a way. My my mother, she's um, just turned 60. And she, she's fairly healthy for her age and things like that. And we've seen her a couple of times, socially distanced as best as possible. I mean, trying to tell a three-year-old not to run up and hug their nan is nigh on impossible. But we've done what we can to try and keep socially distanced when, we, when we've seen her. But everyone else that I've really got interaction with is supposedly fit and healthy enough, young enough and things like that. I don't really have a physical social bubble as such. I, I, I've struggled with real relationships in terms of friendships and things like that. Never go, don't really go out for drinks with people or to the pubs. I see them in situations that generally involve the kids. So until those start up again, then I, I've not really had that. But I've seen, like, obviously, you talking about sort of like obviously family, like seeing family and the social bubble you need to get into and the guidelines that have been put in place have been just that guidelines and you've seen them flouted too often that the level of stress that has got to create i i just how people are coping with it i i, I really don't know because you could turn around and go i don't feel comfortable dealing with this as a social bubble i don't think it's the right thing to do but you would be the one in the wrong according to others because hey the government has said it's okay this is how it should be done or you know like the other people the stress that then puts on them because they think it's okay but how do you then say to someone who doesn't like it that it has to be okay it's it, it's causing so many worries and I, I think will split people in a way that's not healthy for anyone as well yeah, and, and you and I have talked about that a lot, and it, it definitely does because everyone's got their own perception. And that's what we talk about, isn't it, when we talk about strong leadership? It means leaving no stone unturned. It means making difficult choices that are for the good of everybody, not necessarily yourself. It's about compromise. It's about wisdom. 
and you don't feel like that's being propagated and everybody's got their own interpretation of what should be happening. And not to just keep rehashing that because you and I just go on about that every week, but to, <laughs> but to turn it more towards family, my family have different views on, on yeah. how these things should be treated and our own personal responsibility and culpability in stuff. And it really does vary. And several times, and even just this week, I've had to swerve away from things that have made me angry and where I would have had arguments. And some of them were justified emotional reactions. And some of them were not justified. And I'm glad that I didn't say them as well, because they would have just been because I was in a, in a mardy mood at the time. And then and I kind of then have to reflect and think, well, that's the similar case that the family are in as well. And they're making decisions based on, on their own personal set of ethics. And it, that's so odd. It's so odd that you, you can see, and I know it's not on anywhere near the same level. I'm not trivializing it, but you can see what interpersonal family relationships would be like in a civil war. I mean, even the Brexit split to a lesser degree, but you know, you can see where divided loyalties can come in. And I'm not dramatizing it. It's nowhere near that level of issue, but it's along those same lines. People who you've loved and cherished your entire life can believe something completely different to yourself and it can create a schism. And it's a, it's a, a way of thought and a schism that you're just going to have to accept and start rebuilding your life around as well. And where it gets really awkward is, yes, you disagree with how things should be approached and how things should be done, but you've got this really weird situation at the moment where probably no one is wrong. So if you're someone who did go out on Super Saturday, for example, and started doing things there, or going out to the shops to boost the economy, you're doing that. You've been told to do that, so you are not wrong. So when you've then got someone on the opposite who goes, look, I just don't see that this is a good idea. This is just not right to do. They shouldn't be telling us to do this. So you're avoiding it. You're staying at home. You're isolated still. You're not wrong. But your opinions or your, the reasons for doing your actions, you are so far apart that it can cause tension. There's no doubt about it. I, I'm struggling. I know I'm struggling with the idea of, of going back to normal you know, quote, end quote there. I, I, I'm struggling with that and I can avoid it for a lot longer. So, you know, hearing what your your thought processes are, I honestly, I feel so much for you that you're, you know, that you're having to deal with this now and it's something that's been building up. I, um, how you can say calm is beyond me. <laughs> um, Yeah, I mean, I'm a fairly patient person, I'd like to think, yeah. you know, and... Well, you sit here listening to me every week. So we know that. <laughs> That's the ultimate test. But um, so, it, I mean, I, I obviously on the podcast, I play it off in a kind of, well, I try to be personable. I play off in a, in a fairly intellectualized way. But, you know, I've lost my temper and I have said things to my family. And sometimes I've been in the right and sometimes I've been in the wrong because sometimes it, I'm really, really angry over something that I've internalized, but it's still blown off the pressure valve and gone far too far. And sometimes it's something I didn't see coming and I've reacted badly because I haven't intellectualized it and it's just gone blah and straight out there. So no, God, I am by no means any kind of paragon on this because I make cock-ups as much as the next person. Uh, and But at least I think knowing that I do that and being able to apologize makes me understand that that's what's happening with my family as well. So sort of try and learn when to shut up. So in the, in the sort of short term, it's stressful for everybody with that. And the thing that makes me worry in the long term is more about, yeah, the, there are divisions. People will have cemented how they feel about life and their politics, not like party politics, but the under, underlying way they think about humanity and society and how it's all built. And people, you know, I mean, that sounds really grandiose, but I just mean about like how they go to the shops and how they talk to people at work and whether talking to people over Zoom is as good as seeing them in the canteen. At, you know, just stuff like, granular stuff like that. People will have completely changed their way of thinking. And if and a new normal is established by a government that, you know, sort of just left everybody to it, 
the ones who disagreed with it are going to, like you say, clash with the ones who who don't. And I, th- I, I can't help but think that with the end of lockdown coming, with September coming, with the kids going back to school, and then with Brexit at the end of the year, that we're in for, and I don't, I don't want to catastrophize, but it feels like it's going to be a disaster to me. Now, the only reason I say that, because it's going away from my personal feelings a little bit too much by saying that, because it's an opinion. To bring it back to my feelings, I think that even if it's not disastrous, even if nothing happens on the larger societal scale, I think individually within families, it's it's that division that was brought about is just going to get very much wider in some cases. And I, I think it's going to cause a lot of upheaval in the family dynamic. Yes. I think what you're going to have, whether you like it or not, and this is going to be across probably most families, there's going to be an element of smugness and I told you so. And no one's immune to that because mm. such has been the divide that it's it's inevitable that that's going to happen. And as much as you can turn around and go, look, I'm, I'm going to try and be diplomatic with all of this. You know, I understand why you've done that. There's still going to be, see, I told you that if we do like this, there's going to be another wave or we're going to have another 100,000 deaths. And if it turns out that herd immunity does work, or, or whatever, or we only see another few hundred deaths and it does peter out, you're going to get the other, other side of people going, see, told you, nothing to worry about. It wasn't as bad as what made out. We yeah. could have just carried on. And that's going to cause up tensions because how do you then deal with future debates and yeah. arguments and things like that? Can you trust that person again? Can you actually have a rational discussion? And within families, that's hard to do. Like, me and my mum, we are... We're not completely different politics-wise, you know. It's um, We have different opinions with how things happen. and We are happy to discuss them and stuff like that. But we, we get to a point where we go, right, okay, look, we do disagree here, so we're not going to talk about it because we don't want to have the arguments over it. And sometimes I've been in the wrong. Sometimes I think my mum's been in the wrong. But it's just it's just the way it is. And we can do that. But I've I've had arguments with like siblings and other people where it's just led to long time silence and, and things like that. And I know it happens. And it's like at the moment, especially and where it's played on everyone mentally, even people who probably didn't realise that they may have mental health issues, it's all weighing on them because no one knows what's coming one way or the other. And it's almost like everyone's put their bets on. They've put their bets on the roulette table, red or black. And it's just this endless spin waiting for what colour it's going to fall on. I think you've absolutely hit the nail on the head and, and articulated that perfectly. I think that people, all people, and also within families, can mask or, you know, in ideal times, mask their real thoughts about something and their politics around something, but also, like, say, you know, their, their moral and ethical view. And this will expose it all. Like you say, the I told you so factor, because there'll be people who go, I told you so, and the other person will react badly. And there'll be people who were in the right or, you know, happen to land on the correct side by chance and they won't say anything. But the the other party will still resent that and they will throw it back in your face because they feel guilty or ashamed or unintelligent. And, you know, those things are going to happen. And we can't mask them from one another. And like you say, yeah, that's that's where the big divide comes in. And you can't hide from your family anymore what you really think about their religion, their politics, and their ethical choices in life. And it's gonna it's gonna be a big thing. And right in this moment today, you know, all of that, not all of it, but parts of that are gonna be played out in the actions I take in about four or five hours' time. So I'm kind of yeah. kind of nervous and frightened, and it's it's a very strange state to be in. Yeah, it's definitely it's, it's definitely a reasonable feeling to have as well. Um, I know with my anxiety, the nervousness I get through new situations generally is is I I get that. Um, and I say when it comes to family, it's definitely a lot more personal, and it it kind of amplifies those feelings at the same time. 
what you've also got thrown into this is, say, like in the past, and just to use the broader politics, when there were discussions around immigration or what 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 Brexit's actually for, what Brexit's going to do, there's always been distractions around. Um, so you're carrying on with your job properly or your everyday life, so you can kind of move away from it for a little bit. But because of COVID-19 and everyone being locked down to a degree, you haven't been able to escape it at all. You can't um, move away from those thoughts. You can't pretend you're out, for example, uh, just ignore <laughs> someone just because, you know, you can't be asked with the argument because they know exactly where you are, <laughs> yeah. because yeah. where should you be? Um, so that plays that everyone's had extra time to think and let things stew in their mind and play and then get it out because that person is always going to be there to talk about. And I think that's not had, in some respects, it's been healthy that you've been able to approach a lot of things head on um, and have more time to think. But at the other, on the flip side of that, you can see where it is unhealthy and where it's not helped because you can't get away from people's opinions. You're learning new things about people you thought you knew for 20, 30, 40 years, for example. And yeah, it's, it's, Everything at the moment, for want of a better word, is a complete art for now. Yeah, completely. During this, you've been in your your social media ecosystem the entire time, which is, you know, it's, it's good when it's an, a facet of life, but being a, a constant every day, not so much. And I'm, you know, being as critical of myself as anybody here. And the other thing being, of course, that in some cases, we're communicating too much. I think that you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder and no more so than in this situation that having an enforced separate period where you get a, a cool down from people in your life it is a good thing. Yeah. And there has to be a balance struck. And some people, you know, in, in regular everyday life spend far little t- time with the people who are close to them in their lives. But this has made it so that you're physically kept very distant, but thanks to the internet, you're being kept very close to them in communicative terms and you can overshare and i think that's definitely happened as well oh definitely and i'm gonna sort of like make sort of a final point on this no one person is right all of the time but the problem you have when you go into uh, a bubble on social media is you can get rid of those who disagree with you and you start to feel you can be right more and more because you just keep getting the yes men. And I've I've done that before where I've got to a point where I've actually been challenged properly on something I thought, and I've not reacted well to it. You are really tailoring everything just to fit your worldview, and that's not healthy. And because even though we are further apart and we are, but we're closer with communication, it's new for all of us. And I think that's why there's been so many arguments and and outpouring of emotions, both positive and negative, because people, I don't think, know how to cope with that because we've gone from being able to have a discussion with someone if it's got a bit heated or disagreed to being able to step away to now being, you're faced with it constantly. Or if you have had a disagreement with someone, you're like, oh, 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 oh. you go to your social media bubble, and you go, oh, I can't believe he said this. And because you've got a bubble that you've curated, everyone's going, oh, no, you're right, you're right. So you go back, even more determined to get your point, to somebody countering your point. It should be healthy that we've got this, but it's not. It's counterproductive in that, in that, that vein. And I hope, I hope that came across correctly, by the way. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's really difficult because you're talking about something where you're saying, I'm opening myself up to the idea of being wrong and challenging myself. And then you're speaking to me and I'm going, yep. And you're going, I'm saying stuff and you're going, yep. And then we look like we're yep. just like reinforcing ourselves in a mutual backslapping exercise. Um, but no, I, I, it's genuinely not like that to the audience, just to, to speak directly to the audience on that one. Um, I would definitely challenge you or anybody on any views that, that I disagreed with. Oh yeah. And if we were trying to paint ourselves as doing, doing right all the time as well. And you know, if people wanted me to, I would, I would talk more directly about the bad stuff I've done during this lockdown because 
there's plenty of it. But I think I, what I'll do is I'll save that as a reckoning for when things are closer to being back to normal in a few months' time or whatever we consider the new normal. And I will go through everything that I think I did wrong because I think it's really important to do that. And I want people to hold me accountable to it. You know, I do. I do because yeah. it's, it's important for, for my development and my growth. You know, we've got to be held accountable for these things. Even if you don't come out with any great changes or answers to the way that you've behaved, acknowledging them and acknowledging as you go along, like I'm trying to do now, that things are difficult, that I'm making mistakes and that I'm apologetic for those and that I will iterate them and say what they are at some point. I think it's important to make that and not to just fluff your ego and go, oh, look how self-aware I am, but to really just challenge the way you're thinking because getting into a bubble of thought is a terrible thing to do. We are all flawed. Every single one of us is a flawed human being. I don't care what you've done in your life, how much money you've given to charity, what you, how much you've helped people. Every single person on this planet is flawed in some way, shape or form. Apart from me, <laughs> I'm perfect. Well, I think we all, all build that into our way of thinking, you know, that, I mean, I've got, well, that I'm perfect. Yeah, 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 I've got my little statue of you, you know, by my monitor just in front of me. <laughs> if I ever need a little bit of a prey, I know where to look. So, yeah, we, we need that. We need that guy. We need that Brad guidance. But um, no, in all seriousness, you're right. And it's that thing of it's not it's not a backslapping thing. It's not a uh, look how good I am. It's a every morning that you wake up remember that you're flawed and just try and do your best not to hurt other people. Yeah. And sometimes we do. It's the reason I stopped, reason I stopped trying to kill myself as well <laughs> was realizing that I am flawed and my flaws make me me. And not going, you've made a mistake, so you might as well end it today. Mm. And I have had many days like that where I've gone, that was a bad day yesterday, but I'm just going to screw it. I'm just going to go and take a bunch of pills or I'm just going to go and, walk onto the A12 and let something hit me. And it's only realising that owning up to the flaws that it doesn't happen as much anymore. Or anymore. I, to be fair, I've not had a fault like that for a good six, seven months. But that's because I can accept I am flawed and I can talk about those flaws a lot more. So I suppose mm. if there is any takeaway, don't be afraid to talk about your flaws. Mm. Keep it, maybe not private, maybe keep it within a small circle to start with. But open up about them because it's the only way you can understand that you are not the only one who's made those mistakes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that that's that one for today. I did have a couple other bits I, I, I was going to chat about, but they can honestly they they're just gem, general stuff, so they can wait till next week. So if you want to follow us or join in the discussion, you can get us on Discord. You can join us for chats on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. If you wish to support us and you like the content we're doing, then you can sign up to our Patreon. We'll be adding some bits to that later. And also via coffee, if you just want to leave us a small donation to help the server costs. But as usual, I've been Bradley, enjoyed by Stu, and until next time, stay safe.